Otherwise on SAFM. And a very good Tuesday to you, Mzansi, and welcome to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. My producer is Hazel Malkuzeni, and our technical producer for today is Derek Fordyce. Our contact details are 0892102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweets at otherwise safm, or at Shadow Twala. Now, rare and genetic disease is our topic with Kelly Duplessis, who's the chairperson of RDSSA. Dr. Bonnie Chaip is a neurologist and lead sleep physician at Netcare Gardens City, joins us to talk about the importance of sleep. Then we hear about the Duvet Recycling Initiative from James Revachon, MD of Sanders, South Africa. But before that, our lunch bite. And it's about niceness. As women, we've been trained to be nice. We do nice things for people. We say nice things, and we are nice. Many of us fear that if we stop being nice, we have to become nasty. Having become bored with our niceness, many of us have experimented with nasty. For those of us trying to get clearer with ourselves and others, we have discovered that our niceness is intimately linked with our dishonesty. If we want to be more honest, we have to be willing to let go of our niceness. In letting go of niceness, we find ourselves becoming more honest. Getting honest about ourselves and our lives is an essential step toward health. To be more honest, we also have to give up being chicken and put ourselves out there. So, often when we say we're being nice to protect other people, the person we are really protecting is ourselves. SAFM brings you live, interactive, topical news from current affairs, global warming debates, women's issues, to interviews with top literary connoisseurs. To join our conversations, visit our website on safm.co.za. Follow us on Twitter at SAFM Radio or simply like our Facebook page, SAFM Radio. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise, on SAFM. You know, last Tuesday on our health uh, edition of Otherwise, we started talking about vitiligo, which is a skin pigmentation disease where some areas of the skin appear lighter or darker. Uh, and it was to re- create awareness for World Vitiligo Day. And then we got a response and, uh, and suggested we look at rare uh, rare diseases and uh, genetic diseases, especially in South Africa. So we invited Kelly Duplessis, who's the chairperson of the Rare Disease Society of South Africa, to talk to us. Hello, Kelly, and welcome. Hi, hi, and thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. Now, how prevalent are rare diseases, um, especially the genetic ones? It is very, very difficult to give an exact sort of prevalence, but what we do know is that they estimate approximately 1 in 10 people, so they're not actually as rare as you might think. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about, though? Do they have names? That are there varieties when we talk of rare diseases? Yes, absolutely. There's over 7,000 conditions globally that are considered rare. 7,000? 7,000, that is correct. Yeah, quite, quite a few. Wow. And is this worldwide? Worldwide. So in certain areas, um, a condition is more rare than in others. Um, you know, obviously being that many of them are genetic, over 80% of rare conditions are genetic. So with the genetic conditions, some sort of ethnic regions will have a higher prevalence than others. But as a grand estimation, one in ten people is affected. 
So how do they present themselves? I mean, if there's 7,000 varieties or different types of rare diseases, how do we identify them uh, considering one in 10 people have it and how do we recognize we have the condition as individuals? Well, I think that that's where one of the major challenges in getting a diagnosis comes in. In, in, the, in the rare condition sort of spectrum, many of these conditions are uh, invisible, so to speak. Mm. So it's not necessary that you will notice it by looking at somebody. They look like the general population. And the problem is, is that there's a, a, a variance in terms of severity. So one person may be more affected than somebody else, which is something like, for instance, chronic fatigue. So what defines chronic fatigue versus something more serious? It's always very, very difficult for doctors, etc., to find that, um, to get that accurate diagnosis because of the fact that they are so difficult. Well, you know, I'm just wondering if I am one of the one of the people with a condition. I don't recognize that I do have a condition, but I, I, I'm living with something that I've become accustomed to living with, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, my advice to to prospective patients is always if you if you something is nagging you and it nags you continuously, get it checked out and don't necessarily give up at the first doctor saying to you, look, there's nothing wrong with you, it's all in your mind or whatever the situation is because the average time of diagnosis in a rare disease patient is 7.1 years. So it often takes a long time to actually definitively find out what is wrong with you. And as the time goes on, the symptoms often become worse and um, obviously the patient's level of difficulty in living a day-to-day life becomes more difficult. And it is often, um, there is a, a very good doctor from overseas that always says that it is often the difference between one symptom that will lead you from one diagnosis to another. So sometimes it's waiting for an, another symptom to manifest before you actually realize what it is that you're dealing with. Jeez. It's, it's scary because, you know, we could have people that are living with a disease and yet don't know. And when, do I understand you saying not all doctors can diagnose some of these diseases? Yes, because it's not something that you see every single day. And sometimes, like I said, the symptoms are similar but vary between two conditions, but they are relatively similar. And with the absence of significant genetic testing in South Africa, it is often very, very difficult to do the diagnostic testing that is required to get you to a definitive answer. So a lot of the time what doctors will say is, look, we think it might be this, and we're going to treat you symptomatically and see if there's an improvement. If there is, we will then go on to definitively have you diagnosed. If not, we know we're barking up the wrong tree. And it's, it's not wrong for them to do that because mm-hmm. there's so many different alternatives that it is very, very difficult to actually get to a point that it's not like somebody will walk in and you look at them straight away and go, this is exactly it. Mm-hmm. There are some conditions that are very, very noticeable. For instance, like you were saying, vertiligo. Um, most doctors would be able to see that, you know, off the bat. Or something like progeria which is uh, synonymous with Benjamin Button, that condition, a doctor probably wouldn't miss that. But then there's numerous other conditions where you'll look at a patient for years and not actually pick up that they have them. So is, is, is there any way where parents can, you know, new parents uh, take a baby and get them tested just to double-check if there's anything that they carry they, that may be a rare disease uh, uh, at, at birth? 
generally speaking, it's not something that we advocate for because because of the fact that the testing pool is so large. Mm-hmm. But if, for instance, you know that you've had an uncle and a cousin, etc., that have passed away from a certain condition, most of the time there is prenatal or um, you know testing available at birth that can be done. But to screen the entire population um, at birth for a whole range of for a whole range of, of conditions would almost not be viable because you might pick up 150 different genetic mutations in one patient, and it's then to determine what is significant and what isn't. And in not, fact, it may be detrimental because you may be causing more more diseases than anything else when you do well, that. Well, I think more concern than anything else. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, it's very difficult to determine what is significant and what isn't and to not worry about the things that are not significant. That's also another challenge in terms of medicine, which, again, makes it very, very difficult for doctors in this day and age. So what does your organization do then? So we do a lot of patient advocation and obviously do a lot of support for genetic testing. So in the absence of genetic testing locally, we liaise with labs around the world to try to get patients diagnosed, especially if a patient has a condition where there is a treatment outcome. Now, it must be remembered that only 5% of rare diseases have treatment available. Mm. 95% of them only have supportive care. So if you now have are suspicious and there's a high clinical suspicion that there is, in fact, that this patient presents with something that is treatable, obviously then you want to get a definitive diagnosis so that patient can start treatment. So that's one of the things that we do. We facilitate that whole process and assist in moving muscle samples, etc., around the world to get that testing done. And then another thing we do is obviously try to make sure that treatments become available locally. I mean, it's very difficult to have to explain to somebody that because of their geographical location, they're just not going to get access to something that could potentially save their lives. Mm-hmm. So we, we liaise with many pharmaceutical companies around the world, et cetera, to try and make sure that we have world-class treatments available in South Africa. And then also just from an emotional support point of view, um, many of these patients feel isolated. The families feel isolated. There's a lack of understanding from the general public in terms of what it is that that family is going through. So we just provide like a little family unit where people can come. They are well understood. They are with people who are in the same situation as them, which goes a long way to assisting that family in coping. So the, the, the people that you are helping, what, what sort of diseases do they have? So in South Africa, there's a, there's a large sort of a component for lysosomal storage disease at the moment because they have many of those treatments have become, many of those conditions have treatment that have become available. Sorry, so what, what did you call them? Lysosomal storage diseases. So that's conditions like mucopolysaccharidosis or Pompeii, Fabry disease, Gaucher's disease. Those are conditions that um, enzyme replacement therapy has become available in South Africa. So now, obviously, there's a big drive to find the patients that are affected. But also, then, there's other things like rare forms of cancer for skin conditions, autoimmune mm-hmm. conditions, etc. So it's not that we focus more on one condition over the next, but mm-hmm. we try to focus where there's definite, definite treatment available. So when you say you're trying to find patients with some of, some of these uh, uh, disease or conditions, how do you try to do that? Um, so things like this, um, getting people to talk about these conditions, doing um, articles in the press, informing the public and doing awareness on various conditions and their symptoms, etc. Often we find that if we do a campaign, for instance, on something like Pompeii disease, um, in the couple of months thereafter, many patients come forward for testing. And it is often the case in a rare disease that the patients are pushing diagnostics with their doctors. 
So they will come in and say, look, I've, I've done the research myself. I present with seven of ten of these symptoms. Please can we consider testing? You know, the, I, I thought Pompeii was a place somewhere. I didn't know it was a name or a disease. Is, is it white named Pompeii, maybe? Uh, no, it's uh, it's named Pompeii after the after the doctor that that first described it. But it is also a place. It so is a place. Hey, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was going. Okay, but what, what is Pompeii? I mean, I, I, you named quite a few, but just Pompeii stood out for me. But what is what are we talking about when we talk Pompeii? So Pompeii is a neuromuscular disorder. It is also known as a glycogen storage disease. And basically, what it is is there is an enzyme lacking in the patient's body, mm-hmm. and in a normal individual who has that enzyme, that enzyme is responsible for converting glucose and glycogen into glucose in the body, which mm-hmm. is then a form of sugar that the body can use. Yes. Now, in the absence of that enzyme, the glycogen just accumulates, and that creates a whole neuromuscular picture, and they result in difficult, difficulty in breathing, um, mobility issues. It will be somebody who could walk up a flight of stairs and in the space of a year can no longer do that. Oh, my goodness. Or a child who has reoccurring chest infections purely because of the fact that their pulmonary system is so weak. So, Kelly, does your organization then carry... Uh, information on the various diseases or conditions that may, you know, that may present themselves in a particular way, some kind of educational uh, a guide for that matter, that if somebody is feeling um, not, not well for whatever reason, then they can probably refer to, to your booklet or your website to find out if they may be suffering from one condition or another. So what has happened over over some time in actually dealing with these every day, we've kind of developed a network of doctors. Okay. So if a patient comes to us saying, look, these are their symptoms and this is what they, you know, this is what they're currently suffering from, we will then refer them to one of our network doctors that deals with those sort of conditions. So for instance, a neuromuscular disorder, we'll refer them to a neurologist. Um, if it's something that's affecting cardiac, we'll refer them to the relevant cardiologist. Mm. So because of the fact that there's so many conditions, it's very difficult to keep an up-to-date database on all the symptoms. Mm. But we can narrow it down into sort of segments and from there, you know, start investigating further. Okay. So I, I understand now that at least we, we know you exist in South Africa and we know that you have a, a group of, of doctors or specialists that you work with. And we, we shouldn't be too scared if we, have, we may have a rare disease. We can come and visit you. Absolutely. I think that that's, that's one of the key things we, we try to get patients to realize, that they are not alone and that there is an organization that cares deeply for their well-being and also that's there to, for a shoulder for them to cry on. So if you are one of the patients out there, they're more than welcome to contact us. Even if there isn't a treatment available for your condition, there's always people who are there to help you and, you know, just be a shoulder for you to cry on and understand what it is that you are going through. So that emotional support is absolutely significant in a patient coping and a patient not coping. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for having and me. And hopefully we'll talk again soon when you've discovered some, some more medication or some more cures for these 7,000 different types of rare diseases. Thanks very, very much, Heather. Thank you for your time. Cheers, bye. Bye-bye. We'll take a little break now. When we come back, we're talking sleep. This Thursday on Top Billing, leading goalscorer David Zulu admits he couldn't have done it without his goggles. Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore relive the laughs of filming their comedy blended in South Africa. 
designer Haleni Sakapo styles musician Donald Moache for the Durban July. And our location is a showpiece home by talented young architect Bukhle Matole. Don't miss Top Billing Thursday night at 8.30 on SABC3. SAFM invites you to be part of one of South Africa's finest gatherings of jazz musicians under one roof. The Standard Bank Jazz Festival from the 3rd of July, featuring the talents of Carl Shepard, Hugh Masekela, Jimmy Lutlu, Lira, and multi-Grammy Award-winning Maria Schneider. The winter days and night in Grahamstown are going to be hotter than ever. SAFM is the official radio partner of the Standard Bank Jazz Festival. Book now at nationalartsfestival.co.za and join us there. Yo, sure. Did you hear what happened on Friday night? No, what happened? The Powerball jackpot rolled over to an estimated 50 million rand. Yeah. Tuesday night is going to be even more powerful when one ball can change it all. Powerball, just ask for it by name. Play responsibly. You must be 18 years and older to play or claim a prize. It is said, behind every successful man there is a woman. In the past 20 years, women have taken their stand in society, parliament and in business. We talk about Nkosa Zanalamini Zuma, Helen Suzman, Tu Lima Donzela, and Jill Marcus, to name a few. SAFM celebrates 20 years of inspiring women. SAFM, let's have the conversation. The Independent Communication Authority of South Africa, ICASA, invites people with disabilities and their representatives to public hearings to develop a code for people with disabilities in relation to telecommunications, broadcasting and postal services. Members of the public and community organizations are also encouraged to participate in a process that will ensure the rights of people with disabilities are taken into account in the provision of ICT services. Public hearings will be held in various provinces of the country on the 11th of July 2014. For more information about the dates, venues and time slots for the public hearings, please contact Mavungu Magatu on 011-566-3429. That's 011-566-3429 or email mmakatu at ikasa.org.za. Otherwise, on SAFM. How important is sleep? Or is it all overrated that you should have so many hours sleep in order to perform um, in, in, in full capacity? Well, I'm joined by new... I'm joined by Dr. Bonnie Cheyep. I hope I've done that correctly. Neurologist and lead sleep physician at Netcare Garden City. Uh, welcome, Dr. Cheyep. Thank you very much, um, and welcome to ACFM listeners. Is it, is it Bonnie Cheyep, is it? You're very right. You're oh, right. Fantastic. Yes. You know, I'm so glad you chose South Africa. You could have worked anywhere in the world. I mean, I was looking at, at where you've studied and where you've been, and I'm thinking we're so lucky to have you in this country. Well, I think I'm also very lucky to <clears throat> to be in South Africa and to be in a progressive society, um, a place where I could um, apply my trade and do anything I wanted to do. I feel very blessed. Well, I'm blessed to have you on my show today and, and talking about sleep. And it was very interesting for me. I was trying to read up on it because my my personal sleep patterns 
have changed. And I, I often have this friend that visits me in, in the middle of the night uh, called insomnia. And I, I've, I don't know how to deal with my friend. And I, I, then I thought, you know, maybe it's not so important to sleep throughout the night anyway. So how important is sleep in our lives? Well, sleep, you know, it's, it, 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 there, there are very different um, theories on why sleep is very important. Um, but firstly, sleep is very restorative. Um, it's believed um, that it's during sleep that... Um, the brain gets back um, and fixes all the things that have been messed up during the day. And, and so it, it gives you the refreshing you need. You know, you just need to look back at what happens when you have a bad sleep. The following morning, what happens? You get up feeling tired. Um, you, you can't think straight. You forget very easily. You're very irritable. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these things are reminiscent of what happens during the night? I mean, your brain gets organized. It's like a, a fire. The way I try to explain it is like having your office office desk, you know, where you've not organized material rightly. You come the next morning and you're trying to retrieve a, a document. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sleep helps us to organize. It helps um, facts to be put in the right place. And so by the morning, you can trace the right, right file. And so it organizes your life. So, so really, it's, it, it downloads at the time. The, the, the brain downloads. Are we putting the brain to rest together with the body? Because the body must rest when the brain rests, right? Exactly. So the, the brain, that's the one time that you have, the brain goes to its slowest. You have what you call very slow wave sleep. It, it goes to the basic minimum, you know, to restore, um, so that it can restore basic function. Does it take a particular amount of time? I mean, um, what's the shortest it, it requires to do that, to reorganize and reboot? Well, it, now, it's, it's, it's hard to just give a fixed time because um, studies have shown that people are different and also their age differences. You know that for an infant, they have to sleep for maybe up to 18 to 20 hours. Okay. And then as you get older, the, the time needed for sleep um, narrows down. Uh, by the time you get to an adult, you need about six to eight hours on average to sleep. Again, this um, is individual specific. So, can, so I'm trying to understand if we can train our brains to require less sleep. Yeah. So first, it could be genetic that some people just don't need more sleep. Okay, they, 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 they thrive on short sleep, they do well. Um, and, and also training based on, you, you know, your, your background, profession, and what you've done, you've already maintained a, a pattern mm-hmm. for which your, your clock, what we call your, your clock, the brain clock has been set, in, you know, for a particular time. So, yes, you can actually train your brain too. Okay. And and so so it doesn't mean that you 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 are unhealthy if you don't have the required eight hours of sleep. It just depends on what your body requires or you yourself have trained yourself to 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 do. Exactly. All right. Now, what happens? Um, and you said it reorganizes itself uh, in in the brain because. Again, those hours mean uh, you're just not napping, but you need to be going into a very deep sleep, right? 
Yeah, I mean, there, when we talk of sleep, it's, it's not as simple as we make it. I mean, um, sleep studies and sleep that have been studied in the lab has shown that, um, you know, we go through different phases in our sleep. There's a phase we call the non-REM sleep that by itself is divided by three, three different stages, stage one, two, and three. And then there is a the REM sleep. And so REM is a rapid eye movement. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's characterized by different physiological changes that take place during these different phases. Okay, I'm so, going to, I'm, I'm going to yes. ask you, Dr. Chair, to please stay on the line for me. We need to take news headlines, but please don't go away. I won't go away. Thank you so much. It is now time for news headlines with Utsile Sako. Otherwise, on SAFM. Understanding the importance of sleep with Dr. Chape, who is a neuro, neuro, neurologist. neurologist. I, I always battle with that word, but I guess you, you didn't battle with it because you've, you've been one for so many years. Now, we're talking about the different types of sleep, the REM sleep and the non-REM sleep, and you said REM was rapid eye movement. Yes. So the first phase is that the non-REM sleep. The non-REM sleep, yes. Okay. And, and the second phase? Well, that's when we, we have the, the REM sleep. So with the non-REM sleep, we have stage one, two, two and three, and that has to do with the different depths, depths of sleep. So okay. when you're phasing from wakefulness to, to sleepiness, you're going to stage one, mm-hmm. um, then you're going to stage two, and then stage three, the deep sleep. You know, um, then from there, you, you transition into the REM sleep. And REM sleep is where, you know, your, your eyes are moving. Your, you, you look like if you, you did check your brain waves, it looks like you're awake. But you, you know, so everything is active. Your heart is pacing. Um, you're breathing disorderly, but you are paralyzed. Your muscles are paralyzed. So you, you don't move. Okay. So that's the, so it's very brief. Then it goes back to stage one of the non-REM sleep. And so this cycle continues throughout the night um, to the morning. So when, when do we dream? Is it during non-REM sleep? We dream usually during the deep sleep. And we, yeah, during the non-REM. Yeah, that's the non-REM sleep, yes. That's when we dream mostly. Okay, and, and what happens is, is, again, is this where the brain is, is, is packing, uh, packing away stuff and maybe we, it's something that we experience during the day or something that we've left unattended? What, what influences what we dream about? Can you tell from the type of sleep? Well, I mean, now this we can decipher from the, in, in people who have had abnormalities of their sleep. You know, depending on what happens during that sleep or um, during that abnormality, you can tell where exactly it's happening. For example, people with um, REM sleep disorders um, might have a situation where they were supposed to be paralyzed during that time, but because there's a failure of the paralysis, they start acting out their dream. You've heard of people who uh, sleepwalk. Mm, mm. Yeah, and so that's what happens. You're supposed to have had your muscles paralyzed during that time, and only your brain is supposed to be working. Mm-hmm. And so your brain works, and you start acting it out. So you get up, you start walking, you start making up your bed, you start doing things. <laughs> so 
So, so <laughs> that's what happened. I know it's not funny, but you know, I've, I've experienced somebody sleepwalking. It's really very, very scary. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what should you do with those people now that we're talking about them? The idea is not to wake them up immediately, right? No, I mean, well, I think they, they need to see a doctor. We need to find out what's really happening during that period. They need to be investigated. Um, they would definitely have to go through a sleep lab where we monitor them in a sleep room, uh, in a room and put some gadget on them and see what exactly what, um, what abnormality is happening during their sleep. Now, what causes insomnia, Dr. Tape? So insomnia is such a broad term, um, such a broad term, um, which in, in, in simple terms means disturbs, disturbs sleep initiation or maintenance. So, um, so it can be primary or it can be secondary. Primary by primary, I mean it's, it's, it's a primary disorder of the sleep architecture itself or secondary intrusion by other medical problems. Sometimes it goes down to just poor what we call sleep hygiene. So whenever we talk of insomnia or disturbance of sleep, we have to start with the simple things and ask people, tell me about your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay, when do you go to bed? When do you fall asleep? Um, do you wake up several times at night? Um, do you wake up feeling you're choking? Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you wake up, are you feeling tired? Are you sleepy during the day? You know, do you, do you uh, sleep during meetings, for example? Have mm-hmm. you ever found yourself sleeping when you're driving? Those are things that, you know, we need to know. So causes of insomnia, simply, like I said, people with bad sleeping um, hygiene, um, um, people on medications that will affect your sleep. Um, people who um, are having intrusions in their sleep, like we talked about um, uh, movement disorders, mm-hmm. like periodically movements, restless legs, sleep, um, uh, obstructive sleep apnea. You know what that is? I'm not using big words. You are using big words, but I'm listening very intently because <laughs> I, I, I need us, you know. Right, but these uh, are big words which have to be broken down by themselves. I mean, obstructive sleep apnea. These are people who... Uh, first, they, they, they snow a lot at night, and then they wake up feeling like they're breathless. They have to catch their breath, and they mm-hmm. do that several times at night. So it's called obstructive sleep apnea. There are people who who have their limbs moving um, restlessly at night in their sleep. That intrudes into their sleep and wakes them up several times also. Um, um, and, and then, obviously, the, there are other medical conditions that also affect sleep. Depression is another thing mm. that would definitely affect your sleep. So we need to find out what exactly is causing the, um, the insomnia. And once it is found, first we start with the simple things, your sleep hygiene. How do you keep a log of your sleeping pattern for the last two weeks? Tell me, how have you been doing? When do you go to bed? What do you eat? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Um, you know, um, when do you do your exercise? Are you having any psychological problems? Are you on any medications? Do you take coffee in the evening? So all those, are you, you know, all those questions are very important to deal with the problem of sleep. Well, I'm sure then all of South Africa is, has, suffers from insomnia of some kind. Because of, of, you know, the kind of lifestyles we have, 
but mostly yeah. because of 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 the I mean we all worry about we we all are worried about the country the economy uh finances etc so that should affect how we sleep does does it not well it should um but again people have learned to adapt mm. i mean the advice is keep a regular schedule if you go to bed at eight o'clock, keep it that way. Okay. Wake up at yeah. Don't force yourself to, to yourself to sleep when you don't feel like sleeping. When you know you should be, you should be up, even if you feel sleepy, get up. So just keep this this schedule, and that helps to keep your 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 your, your sleep um, architecture all right. But what about what about teeth grinding? That's called bruxism. That's a word. Bruxism. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 again another condition that's not very well understood. Um, they, you know, many feel that there's a strong psychological um, aspect to, to 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 it, common in, in kids. Um, but again, like I said, we don't know much about what's causing it. But mm-hmm. if somebody's having that, you need to see um, uh, your sleep doctor, mm-hmm. and then we we'll take you from yes. Sleep doctor, please tell us then um, what are the things that may help us uh, at least get a good night's sleep? What are the things to do and things not to do before you go to bed uh, that may help you get a good night's sleep? Okay, that's a good question. Um, like I said before now, I said uh, keep, um, keep regular uh, sleeping time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep regular sleeping times. Do... Starting from, you know, the morning, I'll start from the morning. Try to do our, our um, advice, regular exercise okay. at least three times a week. You know, so when you're going to exercise, exercise in the morning. Don't exercise before you go to bed. So morning exercise. If you are overweight, lose weight. Make plans to lose some weight. Okay. That's very important. Okay. Um, now, as you go during the day, um, it's advised that you don't take any stimulants, um, say, after 4 p.m. You don't take any coffee. Um, you don't take any alcohol, smoking. You don't smoke. Um, so those things are not healthy. You take an early dinner before 6 p.m. Early dinner? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. And then um, when you go to bed, your room should be, um, your, you need, if you need cool music, uh, dim light or little on a lithium light, um, you don't take hot shower. Um, and um, No yeah. hot showers? Yeah, you know, it's not anything that will keep you active. Your brain working too much. You don't need that. Wow. And what about, what about uh, you know, a television in one's room? I've been told that's very bad, having a television in your bedroom. That's not good also. I mean, especially if you have to watch movies. You know when you watch movies, your brain keeps playing it up. <laughs> so, so that intrudes into your sleep. Again, this all is more important when we're talking about people who have sleep problems. You see, it becomes even more important that you note these things and try to avoid them. You okay. Know, um, and then what about sounds of forest or sea or white noise generator? That's nice. That's why I said some cool music, some soothing uh, music in the background. And some people talk about the waterfall, um, you know, the sound of the water, you know, the waterfall experience in your room. All that helps. That helps. 
Now, when do I come and see my sleep doctor? Uh, at what point do I feel, you know, none of this is working? I've tried losing weight. I've tried exercising in the morning three times a week. I've tried not to have stimulants after 4 p.m. And I eat my dinner before 6 p.m. And I'm playing the cool music. What happens? Uh, and, and if that doesn't work, is that when I come and see my, my sleeping doctor or my sleep yeah, when- doctor? When you, your, your functionality starts getting affected, I'm talking about you, you know, being very sleepy in the day, you get to office and you find yourself feeling sleepy. You're in a meeting and you take little naps and people have to wake you up. Um, you are driving and you have near misses and you have accidents. That's now getting real serious. Um, so these are warning signs mm-hmm. that it's intruding into your normal life I and mean, you need help. You need help. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 so glad we found you to 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 help us and just help us understand why it is important to sleep. Definitely, we all ought to have some good hours sleep to help our brain reorganize itself, as we've learned. And uh, if we find difficulty, then maybe seek help. But thank you so much, Doctor Tape, for talking to us. And hopefully, we can knock on your door again when we need to look deeper into sleep been only a pleasure for me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for your time. Right. Bye-bye. That's Dr. Bonnie Chabe, who is a lead sleep physician at Netcare Garden City Hospital, and he's also a neurologist. I got it right. Can you believe it? Now, Jens Revachon is the managing director of Sanders South Africa, and he's got a wonderful initiative called the Duvet Recycling Initiative, and uh, we're going to talk to him after this. It is said, behind every successful man there is a woman. In the past 20 years, women have taken their stand in society, parliament and in business. We talk about Nkosa Zanalamini Zuma, Helen Suzman, to Lima Donzena and Jill Marcus, to name a few. SAFM celebrates 20 years of inspiring women. SAFM, let's have the conversation. Otherwise, on SAFM. I love it when South Africans come up with, with, with ideas to for us to just help each other and, and, and make us, you know, those random acts, uh, Acts of kindness, and I think that's what Jens Ravishon has done as well. Hello, Jens, and thank you for joining us. Hello, good afternoon. How are you doing? We good, thank you. I love the Duvet Recycling Initiative. How did it come about? Well, it was an idea we developed just some some weeks ago, and now um, wanted to try it out for the first time. It's actually, may I just correct you? It's called the Share the Warmth in Winter campaign. Or share the warmth. <laughs> exactly. Ah. That's the idea behind it. Yes. So um, how we came across, we know um, in our shop that a lot of clients come in, um, want to buy a nice winter duvet, and then don't really know what to do with the old duvet. Mm-hmm. And in general, the, the old duvets are still quite fine, quite all right. And that's why we developed that idea. So now our clients can bring in their old duvet. We look at it if it's um, still fine, if the condition is still in order, and then we wash it, clean it for somebody, and then we donate it for a good cause. 
But, you know, Jens, what what happens is I know that possibly the recyclable duvets are the down ones mainly, aren't they? Yes, that is correct. We usually use um, ask clients uh, to come to to return their down duvets, down Mm -hmm. or feather duvets. Mm -hmm. And then what I also have to say, then we refund them towards buying a new duvet from us up to 500 rand. So they even can earn some money with it, and then we donate this product. Um, mainly down and feather because it is, in my opinion, warmer, nicer. It is also our major product that we normally manufacture. So it fits more our image than using any duvet. And especially for, be it homeless people, be it people in shelters that mm-hmm. we mainly want to supply those duvets with, I think the down and feather duvet is, is a, nice, a nicer and warmer thing for winter. Well, now that we're talking duvets, um, <laughs> now that we're talking duvets, and you say the warmer and, and all of that, but they they often are very expensive. Those down down and feather duvets. Yes, you've got differences in prices, obviously, depending on the size and the quality. Mm-hmm. But you can get entry level prices if you look at, for example, a duvet just filled with 15% down and more feather or 40% down and 60% feather then respectively. So you've got quite a selection of products that actually fit each person's wallet. And um, in my opinion, what makes it, sure, expensive in the beginning, but not as expensive long term, Mm -hmm. if you look at the lifespan of a proper good down duvet, you look at an average of 15 to 20 years. Oh, wow, it's a good investment. It is a good investment, and you can really keep it. I've got clients walking in um, with duvets that are 40 years old, and they are still all right. Okay, so so if 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 you as a starter you can have a feather and down, and then when you upgrade you get a down. For example, you can do that absolutely, and then you use the feather and down maybe for a guest bed or um, for your children's bed, whatsoever. So there's a lot of possibilities, and price-wise, look, you can as well look into different products. We developed something we call our hotel selection. And there we added to the down duvets a product called tensile. And tensile is like cotton, a natural product, but mm-hmm. it's gained from the, the bark of gum trees. Ah, ah. And so that you can combine as well, and that brings the price down. So one can really achieve and, or buy a nice duvet for winter at a reasonable price, long-lasting. And then they are all machine washable and tumble ah. dryer safe, so you can really keep them for a long time. It's a very hygienic product. That was going to be my next question. How do you clean them? But you say machine washable. Yeah, it's quite easy, actually. You can machine wash. Not every down the way. You've got to be careful with that. Um, the ones we supply and everybody who is a member of the European Down and Feather Association, those devices we can, are guaranteed to be machine washable because some of them are not. Those ones are. What you do is you use normal washing detergent, no fabric softener, which is very important. Fabric mm-hmm. softener is also not good to be used for your bed linen. Mm-hmm. And then you wash them up to 60 degrees, and then you can tumble dry them. And as a tip, in the tumble dryer, you can add two tennis balls, and it fluffs up the duvet and your pillows as well immediately. Then you avoid having to shake them and shake them after the washing process. Oh, Jens, I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you for talking <laughs> to us. <laughs> but, 
really one thing is quite important um, the fabric softener that is really what a lot of your listeners probably also will not know it makes it obviously softer the product but what it also does it leads to tears in the cotton mm. and long term you would probably lose round about a year or even more for your normal bed sheets in lifespan and the same happens to the duvets. It just gets thinner and thinner every time you use those fabric softeners. Hmm. Great, great, great tip there for us. Mm-hmm. So now tell me, we buy these duvets and you, we bring our old ones back and they have to be either feather or down or both. And you pay 500 rand towards a new duvet and you take the old one, you recycle it and you give it to people that need it. How do you find those people that are needing it? Yeah, that's, um, so we pay up to 500. It always depends a bit on the condition and the size of the duvet. Okay. But that's exactly how it works. The people, needy people, uh, well, if you just listen around, you always see and hear about needy people. What mm. we decided is we want to work together with the big issue. Okay. Um, so we would supply the vendors of the big issue magazine. Mm. That's one part. And the second part, what we would like to concentrate on is safe houses for women and children, because they are also in need, and we work together with um, a safe house in Stellenbosch, and that would be another address where we would donate. But then there might be other organizations, or maybe now even some of your listeners will come up with a good idea. We mm-hmm. are open to hear. And very important, I mean, we don't know how successful this campaign will be. We just started today. I want to do that now the whole of July and August. The more duvets we get, the more we can clean, um, the more we can donate, and the more um, organizations or needy people we can help. Well, you can add Mandela's name to it. You know, this month is the giving back for Mandela, 67 minutes to 67 minutes. That is right. 67 yeah, hours, minutes? It's, yeah. it's minutes, yes. Yeah. So, so as part of that as well, you, you, you can be, you can be giving, giving back. But I commend you. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a wonderful campaign. Share the warmth in winter campaign. And, uh, you know, we, we hope you, you give out, you get as many duvets as you give out. Yes, that would be fantastic. And maybe people can easily find us on the Internet or if they probably call you, they can get our telephone number for more information. And we'll be happy to accommodate that. Yes, absolutely. www.sanders-southafrica.co.za, is it? That is correct. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic, Jens. Thank you for taking your time to talk to us. Thanks a lot and have a good afternoon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Share the warmth in winter campaign, and they are in Cape Town, www.sanders-southafrica.co.za. And that was the MD, Jens Revishon. It is now time for Shop Shop. Shop Shop Children's Program on SFA.